Inescapably foreign. Welcome y bienvenidos a Without Borders. If you've tuned into the show before, you know I'm Nolan Yuma and that this is the show for nomads, expats, immigrants, refugees, third culture kids, or anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. Today I'm here with César, or Caesar, the Spanish language coach. And I did a calculation. I spent over 100 hours listening to you over wow. the past two years, which is more than anyone else. Well, well, aside from my family and, and my partner, I don't know how happy my partner would be if, if I spent more time <laughs> listening to you than her. Um, but anyway, Caesar, obviously, you're one of my favorite podcasts, uh, podcast hosts and ways to study Spanish. So I'm, I'm incredibly excited to have you here. Um, I have a lot to ask you about language and how it relates to society. But first, let's just get into your immigration story. And uh, well, how are you doing today, man? Okay. Thank you, Nolan, for having me here. Thank you for listening to my podcast. And you are part of my podcast history as well, because you are, if anyone is interested in listening, listening to you in Spanish, they can all go to my podcast and, and, and listen to you. You did really well. And I'm good. I'm excited to, to have this chat with you about this very interesting topic. We all are, you and I, and the people listening to us are, um, as you say, um, Immigrants, refugees, expats, digital nomads, third generation. No, how is it? How is third it? culture kids. Third culture kids, which is yeah. a very interesting topic as well. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I, my adult life has been based outside of my country, outside of Spain, because I've been living in the UK for 10 years. And when I think that my, almost my whole adult life, has been based here and I still don't feel British. But at the same time, I feel Spanish, but at the same time now when I'm in Spain, I don't feel Spanish. I feel very disconnected as well. So it's very weird because I don't, I feel from nowhere. <laughs> I, think Nolan. I think that's interesting to bring up because a lot of the time when we look at the psychology of third culture kids, they always refer to kids that grew up in three cultures before a certain age. But I think just like you're saying, a lot of these identity issues that people have, it doesn't need to happen as a child. You can have this if you spend your adult life outside of the culture you were raised in mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, so says that. Uh, and by the way, listeners, I'm going to say Caesar sometimes. I'm going to say Cesar just <laughs> because Cesar is how we say it in Spanish. It's how I'm used to hearing it. But of course, Caesar is how uh, <laughs> Caesar introduces himself in yeah. English. Um, what parts of yourself feel very Spanish that have made it difficult to acculturate to London? I think the Mediterranean personality in general, not only Spain, but also Italy, Greece. Um, we're very close to our families. You know, we don't go to university to a different state or even city. We like the other day I was talking to, to in, in another podcast and I was telling them how I studied my degree in Valencia. I didn't want to go 200 kilometers away from home because I wanted to study, you know, in the University of Valencia when I, where I come from. And I, I lived with my parents uh, during this time. Um, that's very common in Mediterranean countries. People, I mean, Spaniards don't leave the nest until they're 31 or 30. 
Yeah. I think 13 in Spain and 31 in, in Portugal, which obviously is not only about us being like mommy boys or daddy boys or whatever, or girls, but also because we don't have the money to, to move out, right? Um, but so we're very close to our families and I feel in, in, in England where I live now, it's, it's slightly different. The ang Anglo culture in general is, is, is like, slightly different. Um, and yeah, and uh, we are, I think, the, the cliche or the stereotype of Spanish people being emotional and passionate is real. And British people are somehow different. <laughs> so. yeah. They've actually looked at that with uh, nurses, acute Mediterranean syndrome, that Mediterranean people on average make a lot more noise in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a stereotype, but it, it's act, it, whenever we're talking about these gener cultural generalizations, sometimes mm. they perpetuate stereotypes, but I think it's important just to be aware of still. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, what parts of you are starting to feel British? Um, I think there there has always been a British side in me, even when I was little, because I'm very, like, I like to comply with the rules. Um, I like queuing. Um, I like respecting, yeah, all the norms and things like that. So I think that's a very British part of me. And I feel very comfortable in this environment where people respect the rules and pay their taxes and don't make excuses not to pay the taxes like in Spain. <laughs> and um, No eres un picaro. No, <laughs> I try not to. Um, so yeah, I think that side was already in me and being in this country uh, made me even more aligned with, the, with, that, with those values. Um, and also like now, for example, when I'm in Spain, I'm, I find it really annoying when I'm in a restaurant and everyone, because everyone is speaking very loudly, the acoustics are horrible and you cannot talk to, to the person in front of you. So I actually appreciate how in other cultures we don't need to speak that loud and we can yeah, keep it low and <laughs> I yeah. think it's much better. It's something that I I'm tr I still have troubles here in Spain. Um, I mean, I love Spain, that's, that's why I'm here. <laughs> but sometimes like I go work out outside um, where the, the, the rings are and the, the bars. And I always have my headphones in, but then there will be a person and he'll play his music. Then another mm -hmm. group of per people will come and they'll play their music. Then another group of people, and they're all just yeah. like, it's like a, just a conglomerate of music. And um, I noticed this at the street parties as well. It, like they'll set up three stages really close to each other and you can hear all three stages going on at the same time. Yeah, in the, in the verbenas, no? In the, the street parties. Yeah, yeah. Well, here, just to be specific, so the audience knows, you're from Valencia, which also has mm -hmm. its specific culture in Spain. Um, I think one of the things that stands out to me are petardos, um, mm. which are firecrackers. How do you feel about petardos? Do you miss them or not? I used to love them as a kid. Like I was, I was throwing or firing <laughs> petardos all the time, but um, not anymore. Like they really scare me. Like because you you don't expect them and you can do them, especially during during fires. Is the the festival in Valencia in March? During a whole week, people are firing petardos all the time, uh, unexpectedly, and um, yeah, and also. The, Throughout the year, we use petardos when there's a wedding, a baptism, a first communion celebration. 
I actually have an anecdote because in Spain, like three or four years ago, I was in a cafe where there were many tourists and digital nomads working with their laptop in Valencia. And I think there was a first communion celebration. And when the, with the, when the kid doing celebrating his first communion or her first communion uh, leaves, the, leaves the door, they throw this, it's called traca. It's like a, like, um, like a line of many firecrackers. And they, it's like, it only takes 10 seconds to explode, but they're like maybe 30 firecrackers at the same time. So all these people didn't know what was going on because it was July or June, something like that during summer. And they thought there was like some sort of terrorist attack or something like that, because it, it, it that sounds like, you know, like, like, uh, like a gun or even like a little bombs. And they were all really scared saying, what's going on? What's going on? And I explained to them, it's fine. It's normal. We, we use firecrackers throughout the year to celebrate things. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit sketchy for people with PTSD. I think, mm, you know, people have yeah. trauma from the war and then the firecrackers are just going off because in Canada nowadays, they, they talk about that a little bit during Halloween. Um, oh, and it's not nearly at the same extent as here in Valencia during the festivals. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, in, in Valencia now, people are talking about, you know, the need to regulate more the use of it because of people with, uh, for example, with aut autism or even for pets as well many many dogs get really really scared um babies <laughs> i mean because yeah they're quite powerful sometimes another thing too with the um, these festivals is like when we're talking about mentioned the the fires in valencia mm -hmm. which is i highly recommend people go to look at the fires they're they're incredible um but i didn't stay for the burning because one i just didn't want to be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people on the street while I can't breathe from all the smoke and two like I respect the culture and I, I think it's a cool tradition in the sense that it brings people together but I think we have to be progressive about it in my opinion because I think we know enough now about pollution and climate change that we shouldn't be burning plastics and it used to be at least just wood now mm -hmm. when you look at the fires there's a shit ton of chemical stuff in there um, but I was wondering what your perspective was, because, well, I, I know you a little bit from your podcast, of course, and uh, I know that you're someone that's concerned about climate change and environmental issues, just like I am. What what do you think about the fires? Do you think the tradition should just stay as it is? Or do you think there's maybe a way to adjust it to make it a little bit healthier? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I think over the last few years, the, some of the artists are trying to become become more sustainable and use different materials um because yeah basically we they are spending the whole year putting together these huge monuments and they then these monu monuments are exposed for five days and then the last day they are burn burn out on the streets and there are like hundreds of them um, um in the city um so obviously it's not very sustainable friendly <laughs> this this burning but it is true that I don't know, like the percentage of pollution that is created compared to other things that we could do on a daily basis, you know? So I, I don't want to be hypocritical about it either. Like I'm, I'm a vegan, so obviously that's very good for the environment because I don't need meat or fish. Um, but I don't want to give up, for example, my flights to Spain and I, yeah. I fly to Spain very often. Um, 
so I think it's important in all all the areas of life to look how we can improve um, our carbon carbon footprint footprint and all that. But at the same time, it would be very difficult to have fires without burning these monuments. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Definitely. Uh, so I'm sure they will come up with uh, more sustainable material to do that. I agree. And of course, I'm asking you this so that the audience members know, and I do encourage that everyone who wants to learn Spanish to listen to your show and kind of have an idea about the things you think about and the things you talk about, because I kind of know some of your answers, because this is kind of one of those situations where I think I know you, uh, but it's kind of in the same way that people know their favorite celebrity or public figure, right? I know the version of yourself that you put out there that you put on yeah. your podcast and you mentioned that on your podcast uh, where you'll you'll present something that might be controversial but you present it in I think a very objective way um, mm -hmm. I know that you've been called a turf which doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> yeah well I've been called ma many different things like uh, uh, right wing left wing turf uh, yeah um um, I think that's what happens when you're nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, but that's the thing. You realize that um, it doesn't matter what you say. It's about other people's interpretations of what, of, of what you're saying. Every time I talk about something controversial, I, tr I always have an opinion. And I sometimes share my opinion and I say, and this is my opinion. But before that, I normally tend to share the, 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 both sides of the, of the discussion. Mm -hmm. um, because it's also interesting for me to, to know, okay, why are there some people against this or they're fighting for this? No, um, so I want to see, I, I want to understand it. Like actually doing the podcast, <laughs> the main purpose is of course to teach Spanish and to make people who are learning Spanish realize that you can talk about complex topics in a simple way. Mm -hmm. But the secondary reason is that to find out is like a very selfish reason to find out or discover what is going on in the world. And when I want actually all the all the episodes, most of the episodes are questions that I ask myself. Why is this happening? You know, I want to find out. I want to know more about this. And then mm -hmm. I do the research. That That's one of the reasons your podcast is my favorite for learning Spanish is because I find a lot of the time when I'm studying Spanish, especially in a more traditional sense with some of the traditional books, the topics are either outdated, they don't really relate to me. And then everything you talk about is just so relatable. So hmm. it's so much easier to follow. Um, now, now on this topic of you kind of getting all the being called left wing, right wing, a turf, whatever it is. Um, and you are a very objective person. Um, has it been difficult for you? Like, has it dissuade you at all? Or does it kind of motivate you to even get more out there? Uh, like, I I receive 99% of the comments are really positive. Okay. Only 1% is negative. Like, today I received a negative comment on YouTube. Someone said that I'm going to go to hell. Like, the like the people who cheat on their partners and, and, the, and the thieves. Because I'm gay. So this, well, you know, he was like a fundamentalist. Um, I don't pay attention, but I don't pay attention. I I thank the person who say, oh, "I really like your podcast. You are the best teacher." And I say, "Thank you." But obviously, I'm not the the best teacher. I'm not the best um, podcast host. I'm not the best anything. 
Um, but I appreciate that people who like the the content that I create, they share it with me. And um, I'm very thankful and I really appreciate it. But in the same way, I don't take very seriously the positive feedback. I don't take very ser seriously the negative feedback either. I listen to both. And um, if I see that many people are complaining about something, I might do something about it. I would probably do. Uh, but it hasn't been the case. So it didn't really put me off to talk about like any specific topic. And as you said, the reason why I created that podcast in the first place was because I was learning French and I discovered a very similar podcast called Inner French. And Hugo, um, its host and now my friend, a colleague of mine as well, um, he was talking about topics that were really interesting and I, it was really easy to engage with engage with them and binge listen to them. And I said, I want to do the same thing in Spanish because I don't think there's anyone doing talking about these topics. Because when you are learning Spanish, it's good to know about the Spanish cuisine and the Spanish uh, traditions and flamenco and all that. But it's also interesting to know how to talk about sex in Spanish, how to talk about trauma in Spanish, how to talk about inflation in Spanish, because there are topics that are important for all of us, no? And you don't see that in any in any book. Definitely. Now, um, in relation to that, talking about the negative feedback and then also mm -hmm. talking about a little bit more of these controversial topics, um, th there's a lot of research into how much negative feedback a culture will present or how, how direct or blunt they are. For instance, Dutch people and people from Israel are very, are very blunt. Um, some, some Asian cultures are usually uh, not as direct with the negative feedback. England, kind of in the middle, but actually a little bit le like they're also known to be not very direct, right? They kind of yeah. wrap around what they want to say. Me personally, no tengo pelos en la lengua, right? Like, <laughs> I, I like people that are super straight up with me. I'm usually straight up, gets me in trouble sometimes, but... Yeah. Is that is that common in Canada or you are? No, no, that's just, that's that's okay. uh, it's not even Belgium in me because like Belgians aren't really like that either. I'm just I don't know. It's just the way I am. Okay. I guess. <laughs> uh, but I was wondering from your experience, is there a difference between um, Spain and England in that? Do you feel like people are more upfront with negative feedback here in Spain than in England, or that they're more willing to get into a controversial discussion, or is it the opposite? No, in Spain, they are willing to talk about controversial. Yeah, I mean, the level of political correctness in, in the UK is much higher than in than in Spain. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Like, like I mean, literally, we do blackface in, in Spanish television <laughs> in 2023. Yeah. In, in, I... in one of the most watched shows in Spain. Um, and yeah, of course, there there's like more sensitivity some towards some topics but we are still very politically um incorrect yeah. definitely and we we don't avoid we say like people say in spain you shouldn't talk about religion politics or football in a party yeah. <laughs> because they are very controversial topics for spanish um but people do and uh yeah and when you want to complain more heated here about football than anything else yeah as well yeah yeah um, and now, complaining as well if you if you want to complain in a restaurant you are quite direct you're not you don't go round and round to say something you're very direct 
And what about the whole political correctness thing? Do you feel like there's a lot? Of course, you're, you're saying that people are more politically correct in England. Um, now, what about with this whole idea of wokeness and like kind of PC culture? Do you think it's something that people are a lot more concerned about in England as well than here? Um, I mean, I have my own opinions about it. Like in a lot of things, I'm a pretty left-leaning guy. I'm always on the side of marginalized groups and everything. I, I want equality, but I kind of get tired of all the political correctness stuff. Just, mm -hmm. just especially with cancel culture. Like I feel it used to be the right-wing people and the fascists that would burn books and control language. And now it's the ultra left, which I don't actually consider left at all. And they're canceling people. And I feel like if, if you have the power to cancel people, you're not on the side of marginalized people. You're a part of the hegemic classes. Yeah, that's you're a really good point, actually. Yeah. Um, I think the, the Anglo countries tend to lead on, this, on these trends, right? So I think in Spain and other European countries, this trend of uh political correctness and cultural cancel culture is um is becoming to start to is is becoming to to be a reality um but as i said before we're still quite behind it i think like like uh, as you as you know because you talk to my uh, you you listen to my podcast i talk about my sexuality and i talk about my sexuality sometimes not all the time but sometimes i talk about that because in Spain is a really good example of a country being absolutely backwards 30 years ago because we had a, a dictator during the Frankist, Frankism era. Um, and then in 30 years, becoming a, like a super modern, a progressist country where LGBT rights are um, one of the best, uh, the, the, the aceptación. Accepted? The, pe people being uh, yeah the the level of as accepting in, in the yeah. ac exception in people is really really high um so it's a really good example of you know progress so when i was a kid i remember that you could make jokes about gays lesbian fat people black people all these people it was completely fine to to make jokes about and um the only representation in in the media was uh like stereotypes and people um made a caricatura Caricature. you know yeah. yeah so i'm glad that people now when they see this in spain they say no this has been for all these years we don't want this anymore because it's not fun like if you want if you want to make a joke the 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 comedy has to be better than the level of uh offensa that you're going to make to that person so i think it's good to to have some red flags with some people because some people they still think they live in 1970 and we don't live in 1970 anymore so i think it's good and another question that i've been questioning myself lately is like when something is not debatable anymore. Like I, th I think in the states, for example, um, racial segregation was in some states um, valid until the seventies or so. I'm, I'm not sure. You, you probably know better than me. Like at at at, this, at that point in history, probably people were still discussing. Okay, 
no, actually, there is a reason why we need to do this. No, but mm -hmm. now no one, no one who's normal, even if you are very far right, would discuss that uh, racial segregation was positive or is positive, right? When some topics are gonna stop becoming a discussion, you know, like because I told you today, someone told me I'm going to go to hell because of my sexuality like when people are gonna stop saying that kind of shit because I'm, it's like i don't take it seriously at all but it's like when something like that is gonna is going to to stop i don't agree with cancel culture either but obviously if some people are openly homophobic uh or transphobic or racist i don't want, i i won't support that person mm -hmm. another thing is the interpretation of a group of people on twitter that makes someone transphobic or homophobic or racist. And I'm like, well, this might be a bit backwards, but I don't see it as a clear act of, you know, uh, hate. Yeah. That, so that I is. think there is like a blur line and yeah, but I, I don't agree generally with cancel culture either. Yeah. I think it'll always be a bit of a challenge because those people are always going to exist. The extremists on, on whatever <laughs> side it is. And how we deal with them when it comes to canceling, when it comes to voicing them. I think it's such a difficult discussion to be had. Um, but nowadays with technology, I think sometimes it's less about canceling these people and fixing the algorithms. Like for instance, as I said, I'm usually kind of left-leaning, but I'll view a Jordan Peterson video once in a while because I want to get a little bit more of a right-wing perspective from someone who I find intelligent in some ways. And all of a sudden, the algorithm just starts feeding me nothing but right-wing rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do that with the left-leaning stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what that says about my algorithm, what it says about YouTube and things. But I think those are things that we have to focus on as well, even more so than just like canceling the one person that says something that offends someone. Yeah, well, the, the algorithm is made not to show more right-wing or left-wing. It's made to show you something that is gonna trigger some emotion. And negative emotions are more triggering than positive emotions. Yeah. And if you are triggered by, by this emotion, you will stay scrolling for longer. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So it doesn't matter if you were really into, I don't know, puppies swimming in the pool, <laughs> they will feed you with that. But normally, yeah, like, a, like someone who's gonna be very controversial and saying horrible things. Like I, I, I had for a month or so this guy, I think he's from Romania. He he was detained like two months ago. Uh, uh, Andrew Tate or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have him on my on my feed forever. It was like all the time. It was amazing. And then I realized as well that apparently he was ask he was asking his followers to reshare his content because he had been banned in in many in different platforms. Crazy. But yeah, yeah I, I stayed out of that whole thing. I didn't because I knew it would upset me. I saw one thing about Andrew Tate and I was like, this guy's a complete douchebag. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't even want to learn more about this. Just keep keep me away. Yeah. I, f I feel bad for the young men who follow him because he's basically using them to be on his course to do crypto, cryptocurrency oh. stuff. Oh. And he says things like, if you are underage, just grab your mom's card and use it to buy so i mean God. i feel really bad for them i feel really bad for them for you're, the people following him and 
No, just to bring this back into the Spanish language side of these things, because I think a lot of English speakers are very aware of what to say and what not to say, because it's always on the news. But in mm -hmm. Spanish, it's a little bit less talked about. Um, now, one of them is with uh, chique, right? Like instead of using feminine and mm -hmm. masculine pronouns, um, you should use um, chique or something like that, right? So yeah. Chico, just for listeners who don't know, like chico, boy, uh, chicos could refer to a group of boys and girls. Yeah. Um, do you think it's a good idea to use things like chique and everything? Do you think this will help? Um, well, it's a very small percentage of people, but the that percentage of people who feel um non-binary yeah exactly that's the 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 use that we're giving it in spain for the non-binary people uh, i think i said on my podcast that two percent of the people following my podcast are non-binary on spotify at least because spotify gives you that that um data um i only met non-binary people in london and i always ask him or ask them about the pronouns and they always told me, I don't mind. I know it's difficult to call they, them. So you can call me with uh, my sex pronoun, him, her, or they. It's fine. So I've never felt like the actual non-binary people are that worried about people using their pronouns correctly, you yeah. know. In Spanish. So in Spanish, you can also... Um, call someone using tú o usted, right? Mm -hmm. Usted shows more respect. And many people, when you call call them by usted, they are like, no, no, please, don't call me by usted, call me by tú. So you are changing the pronouns, okay? These people ask, is asking you, please change the pronouns. And we are fine with that. When I had to interview a nun in Spain, I used to call her before the interview, while we were um, arranging the interview, I used to call her Marta all the time. Marta oh, this, Marta that. great episode. Yeah. yeah. So I, I call her Marta all the time. And then someone told me, you cannot call her Marta. You have to say Sor Marta. Sor means sister in, in Latin, no? So I said, okay, if that's the way you, I have to address this person, I will use Sor. I don't mind. So I don't know why there's such big fuss about addressing someone with a different pronoun. I I think they have to understand that it will take a while, that it is difficult to to use a different pronoun. Like, it's difficult for me. In English, I, I'm swapping pronouns all the time. So I can say, I talk to him and it's actually her, you know? And it's not because they are non-binary, it's because I, I mix up the pronouns. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so it's even more difficult for me. Um, so yeah, I think non-binary people are actually quite accommodating at least in my experience um for the rest of the population in the same in spanish i'm, t I'm talking about in the same way we change pronouns to tu usted or use don doña sor padre we can also address a non-binary person with a different pronoun i don't think it's that difficult to be honest yeah um and what about this offensive word? <laughs> like one, one that I always use because mm -hmm. I consider myself one in a little bit is perra flauta. Perra flauta. Ba how bad is it to actually use? Because I'll use it to refer to myself. I mean, I own, I own like 
two pairs of pants. Most of my shirts have rips in them. Luckily, you can't see the bottom of my clothes on the yeah. on the podcast. Uh, I bike everywhere. Like I, I'm kind of against car usage. If I'm sad, I put my feet in the soil. So I'll be like, I'm a bit of flauta. But yeah. then, like, I also hate on freeloaders and like hippies that just do shit all. And I'll be like, oh, that guy's a bit of flauta. Right. And I, how bad is this for me to say? That's interesting that you refer yourself as a perro flauta. I would call you more like a giri slash hippie in Spanish, <laughs> like the, 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 the hippie that we have in Spain. Um, well, I think there's like now this, this t tendency of reclaiming the word. So I'm sure, I'm sure many perro flautas. I don't know if, if you have, have explained previously what a perro flauta is. Oh, it's kind of well hippie. Right? Yeah, no, hippie. I haven't explained it on the show before. But. Yeah, um, left wing hippie. Um, I think there's now this trend to reclaim all these words. So, fat people, for example, gordo gorda is a word that we try to avoid when we refer to someone who's fat, and they're calling themselves soy gordo, soy gorda. Mm -hmm. uh, the word for fagot in Spanish is marica or maricón. It's a word that over the last 10 years has been reclaimed by the gay community. The same word, the same for lesbian, the same for um, rojo, which means left wing, rojo. Oh, I didn't you know? know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And even facha, which means fascist, but it's like more like right wing, not, not a real fascist. That must be confusing for Americans who like rojo right wing. So then yeah. here rojo left wing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Um, so I think I mean we we are used to we used to use we 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 used to swear a lot. So I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, I don't think it's bad at all. Like especially in Valencia, where in Valencia we call our friends "son of a bitch" all the time. Like you son of a bitch, I love you so much. So it's like yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a, a very dirty tongue, as we say in Spanish. La lengua like muy sucia. <laughs> I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> now, um, just since we're talking about language and we're, we're both uh, language teachers as well, um, I encourage everyone to check out your YouTube channel as well. Um, they've got a lot of language tips there. Of course, you have your, your Spanish learning course. I'm going to put links to all of this in the description. Um, but just to give some people hints right now on the show, what are some of your favorite study methods? Okay, um, not only as a Spanish teacher, but also as a Spanish, um, as a language learner, language student, and now I'm taking back my French, I'm learning again. Um, I think it's so important listening, and it's not because I have a podcast, but the importance of listening is sometimes um, undervalued. Like when when people said to me, Cesar, I listened to your 120 episodes twice and I feel like my, my Spanish is so much better. The, my ability to understand is so much better. My vocabulary is much wider now. I was like, okay, thank you. But I was like, well, I mean, it, it might have helped, but not that much. But then I did the same thing with the French podcast. I re-listened all the, all the episodes. Um... And then I started with a teacher and I hadn't, I hadn't really spoken French for three years. And I was really surprised with the, how well I could get by in French. 
Like I was making still many mistakes, grammar, preposition, blah, blah, blah. But all these words that I didn't know I knew, they were just coming up. And I was like, I, I, he was asking me, how, how have you learned this expression or this, you know, this specific structure is, is quite complicated. And I was like, well, because the host of this podcast, he's saying the, the same thing in every episode. So I just recall it. So I think the importance of comprehensive input yeah. is really important. And um, the more you work on that input, the better. So if just like you get that input, you listen to it once, that's fine. If you can listen to it twice, it's even better. If you can work on the transcript, if you can get the words that you don't know, put them on flashcards and relearn them, it's even better. If you can analyze the the tenses and see, okay, why is he using the imperfect here and not the indefinite or whatever, mm -hmm. it's even better. So basically, the, the, the more, the merrier, you say? Yeah. No? Yeah. Cuanto más azúcar, más dulce. <laughs> really. Um, and also there is like a trend of people saying, oh, grammar is not that important. Well, if you just want to get by and you want to be fluent, you can be fluent making many mistakes and people will understand what you're saying. You might have some mis misunderstandings, but I've seen people who are really, really fluent in Spanish and make tons of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you want to have a level of fluency and also a level of accuracy, right? You want to balance that because I, I saw the opposite case as well. People um, using a very proper Spanish, but not having the ability to, to speak because they are very afraid of making mistakes. And, uh, you know, it takes them two minutes to, to answer a question. So you have to wait up the, the things that you're learning, the things that you are putting into practice putting in, uh, yeah, in, on the balance, the level of uh, passive learning that you're receiving and also the active learning, you, the way you are producing the language. People normally forget um, because we don't write anymore. We don't, it's very important. And if you can do, do it by hand, it's even better because mm -hmm. you will retain the things better. Um, so yeah, analyze what you're doing. I think it's very important. And uh, Now... Talking about retention, um, mm -hmm. I've, there's three, the three most rigorously studied uh, study methods, <laughs> the three most rigorously studied study methods. Yeah, okay, I said that right. Um, I'm going to bring them up, and I'm just wondering what, if you've had any experience with it, okay. and if you've noticed it, if it helps with your students or with yourself. Now, the one is the generation effect. And this is when you take a test before you know the material, because now they're actually finding out that t test taking isn't the best way to evaluate. If you take a test beforehand, it's actually a really good study method, right? Because if you don't know the answer before, but you're trying to figure out, you're priming your neurology to learn it. Um, and this also relates to the hypercorrection effect, which I think is the most important when it comes to languages. Um, the hypercorrection effect is when you make a mistake and then you're embarrassed about it. So then you learn it afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's super important when you're learning languages to, to, to start speaking it right away, even if you're going to make mistakes, because that embarrassment is going to help you to remember it better. What do you think about that one? Well, I think the first one is very interesting because it will develop your your instinction. No, uh, to instinct? instinct. Your instincts. Sorry, um, because that's another very another, another very important thing about learning anything. Right, you have to trust yourself 
and your intuition and uh, say, okay, I think, I don't know why, but I think this might be, or I might have heard this instruction. So I think it's really important. So it's, I've never heard of this, this theory, but I find it really interesting. Um, and the second one, I think with mistakes, that's the thing, right? In the same way, you cannot learn how to play piano without making any mistake. You have to accept that mistakes are going to come. And you have to, because I've seen like, I've seen people who are actually very confident, who struggle to learn a new language because they're not used to be, they're not used to be vulnerable. And when you learn a new language, you know that you live in Spain, that you have to be vulnerable and you're going to make many mistakes. And we say, well, people, and yeah, people normally are quite nice, but some people, they might laugh, but not in a bad way, but they might say, oh no, this is not like that. You've made a mistake. This, So you have to accept that. Some awkward situations are going to happen. And obviously in these situations where the, the mistakes are really awkward, I'm sure it's easier to remember to, to, to get that memory, you know, burned yeah. in your, in your brain. Like I have, I can recall when I made mistakes, like using the word molest, molestar in Spanish <laughs> means to annoy, but I use it to molest, Don't molest when I want to say to annoy. Yeah. I yeah. said something like my dad was molesting me or something like that. So it's not great, but I remember because someone told me, no, this is not what you're trying to say. And the same with the get late, to get late, the phrasal verb. Oh, yeah. I thought I thought that to get late was to lay down. So I was basically <laughs> saying all the time, oh, I'm so tired. I can't wait to get home and <laughs> get <laughs> late. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to bed very soon. I need to get late. And then someone said to me, oh, you know, awesome. you, you. so yeah, th those mistakes are actually really good because you see the expression on people's face and you're like, okay, yeah. I made those a big, false big mistake friends, now. False cognates, right? They're yeah. Just, I love them. Yeah, yeah. Learning. Do you have any, any example of those in Spanish? Well, the same ones because like molest, oh, well, right? Molest, yeah. you, it's the same false friend. So you can make the same mistake from in English. Um, I'm, I can't think of any of the top of my head right now, but I, I've made so many, as you know, from like my errores de un giri. Um, mm -hmm. I'll try and remember to put a link in the page for this okay. as well. And there, I just, you know, I have a shit ton of um, mistakes sure. there. Um, now, another one, spaced repetition. And the reason I want to bring this one up is because they actually did a study for Spanish learning. Mm -hmm. um, so they, group one studied for eight hours for one day. Then group two studied for four hours uh, one day, and then a month later studied for another four hours. And then eight years later, I don't know how they got the funding for this test, but eight years later, they got these groups back. And the group that, uh, group two that studied four hours one day, and then a month later, another four hours, did 200% better than the group that studied eight hours in one day. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. Uh, you... Yeah. So I'm wondering, um, in your course, because of course I'm familiar with your with your podcast. I haven't taken the course yet. I'm waiting for the advanced one to come out. Yeah, you are uh, too you are too advanced for the intermediate course. <laughs> it will be too uh, boring for you. Maybe I don't know. I, I I listen to your intermediate course all the time, so like your intermediate podcast, and I'm still learning things all the time. So okay. Um, but. It, is there a way to utilize uh, space repetition in your course? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, as you know, I'm a, big, a very big fan of this, especially for vocabulary. W with my podcast, I always give away the, the flashcards that I create. Uh, 
with an image because it's also when when we learn a new word it's important to use the spatial repetition in order to memorize it and retain that word properly but also like put it in context i give the context is what you've heard on the podcast before uh, but i also recommend if you're creating your own flashcards to connect it with an emotion with a personal memory because that would be or even using mnemotechnics uh, and an image as well and on the course or also when i was doing one-to-one lessons repetition and reviewing what you've seen in the past is essential right like if we see the pronouns today and you won't see the pronouns until in a phrase in three weeks you will remember how pronouns are used so obviously you need to review and see um, that's why on my course, in, in, on my intermediate course, the level of difficulty uh, progressed throughout the course because we start to use all the things that we had seen before. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, spatial repetition, especially for for vocabulary, is, is, is key. It's really important. I, and it does work. Perfect. Another reason to check out, check out your course. <laughs> um, now then another one, we kind of talked about this already, it's interleaving. And that's instead of just studying one type of thing and doing it over and over and over again, you should mix it, right? And I mean, they talk a lot about this nowadays that um, even just on a societal level, if you want to progress in, progress in your career, like you, I find you a very successful person. I mean, you've got... Oh, thank you. <laughs> You do very well. I mean, you've got over a million uh, listens on on your podcast. Well, actually, three, <laughs> three now. Okay, okay. Well, I started listening two years ago. It was over a million, so now over three. Um, how many people do you have on on Instagram now? It's like seventeen thousand. Yeah, but you know what? Instagram. I I hate Instagram now. I don't even have the app on on my phone. We can okay. talk about Instagram and language learning because I think it's very interesting. I want to know your view on on that. Okay, yeah, I, I got a story. I hate Instagram too, man. I'm uh, like, I, I use it because I want to get myself out there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the algorithm's not working for me. It gets me depressed because I put a shit ton of work into trying getting things out there. Mm -hmm. No one switches over to my actual site, how I can make money and actually keep it going. Um, so that's the one thing that's on, on my personal business side. Instagram hasn't been working. It gets me kind of depressed because I'm not getting enough out there. Personally, I'm switching now to Substack for my writing mm -hmm. and the community there is so much stronger and they don't have the same type of algorithm I find, like people find you and it's so much easier for me to find people that I like. And then now the other thing, just bringing up Instagram for language learning, when I started my Erodes Dungiri account, I also made sure to um, only follow language learning accounts. Mm -hmm. And um, at first it was really good. I, I was learning quite a bit because I would scroll through and it would be nothing but informational um, videos, sometimes something funny, but it was always something educational for me. Then I spent one day looking at surf videos and I'm human, right? If I see a couple of letters or I see a surf video, my eyes go to the surf video. I brought this up on another podcast too. And now I don't get any more educational content. All I get is is just like this immediate, visually stimulating material, and yeah, Instagram just sucks now, and, mm. it, and like I'm just left feeling empty. I've wasted my time. Um, so yeah, that's that's my view. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think well, you've got the experience as well as a consumer and uh, also as a creator, right? As a consumer, I hate the way they we drag ourselves in a 
infinite scrolling period and at the end of the day you see this your statistics and you spend 90 minutes <laughs> on instagram where you, and you could have you could have been doing something much more not productive but just more meaningful mm -hmm. you can just talk to a friend okay it doesn't need to be productive um and as a creator when i first started on instagram the trend was creating um, carousels with 10 different images and it was very interesting because you could tell a story you could explain a complex grammar structure or whatever you had the time and people would invest more than 30 seconds reading a post you know they yeah. could spend maybe couple of minutes and then make a comment to practice what they've learned and it was still like a very subtle learning because no one is gonna unless they grab a notebook and they take note of, of what you're saying but it's just like a little random and daily lesson in Spanish but now with not only Instagram but all the platforms even YouTube pushing the very short content and mixing it up as you said, because now, before on Instagram, you only saw on your feed the things you were following. But now they're pushing, even if you're not following them, other accounts that they know they're going to do well on your feed. Um, so language teachers, I feel we have started to, instead of creating content for students, we are creating content for the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we don't think in... We're not thinking, what's the best content I can create for a Spanish student? We're thinking, what's the, be the best content for the algorithm to show to this student? You know, and we create things that are actually, um, that they're actually clashing our values as a teachers with, uh, with um, the thing that we do. Like we say to the students, don't be afraid of making mistakes. It's a normal part of the journey. And then we make tons of videos saying, don't make this mistake Yeah. with a stop emoji. Fear, scaremongering, <laughs> yeah, scaremongering. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of contradiction in, in this type of content. So over the last year or even longer than that, I only use Instagram to promote my episodes. I don't do anything else. If you, you can see, you can go to my feed. I just say, go to this episode if you want to if you want to learn because i only create long long content mm -hmm. on youtube my youtube channel is not doing very well and i'm now I'm, I'm on a second phase when i'm investing money and i'm working with other people to make it more professional but it takes time but i don't mind because i'm creating content that i actually believe in i content that is long that i want someone to be with an attention span of at least five minutes yeah. to say something in Spanish, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It, for me, it's refreshing to hear that from you because, well, you're at the level where I, I want to be, you know? I, I feel like if I had the amount of... In, now, like, I don't give a shit about numbers of followers. Like, that's, hmm. that's not what's important to me. But what's important is just the amount of interaction, Right. Yeah. And I, when I see the amount of comments you get on your YouTube videos as well and Instagram and everything, I'm like, I would love that because I want to have this sense of community. And then sometimes I think the, all these negative things that I say about social media, is this just because I'm sad that not enough people are interacting with me? Mm -hmm. But now that I hear no. your perspective, it's like, you know what, even once you get to a higher level and you really start to 
get success with the content you're creating like you do, it seems that it still plays a role in mental health and everything. Yeah, so absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. It's good to I know. know. I mean, it, it takes time as well. Like it mm. took me over a year, no, more than a year to reach the first million, but then it's more exponential. Um, but it takes time. Yeah. That's the thing. You have to be very consistent and it's not about, it's not about, yeah, the number of comments or the number of uh, followers. It's more about the, the value that you provide to the people who use your content or feel that you are helping them. Right. Yeah, yeah like, definitely. That's how I feel yeah. with the people I follow. I'll tell you more about it after we're done the show, but for the listeners who are interested in all this as well. Um, so my website used to be on ghost.org and I, I chose ghost because they're, they're nonprofit, they're carbon neutral, they're open source. That really attracted to me them that they have a lot of, they, they help you a lot throughout the process. And then now I recently switched over to Substack, mm-hmm. um, and it's amazing. In one week, I've gotten more interactions, uh, more paid followers, more followers in general in one week than I have in six months on Ghost. Mm. And that includes paying for Google advertisements. That includes paying for advertisements on Instagram and go and on Substack. It's all been free. Well, I've spent a lot of time interacting with other writers, but that's the whole thing. Now they have this, they just released it a few days ago and it's notes and notes looks like Twitter, kind of looks like Instagram, but you're not limited. Uh, I don't think you're limited on how much you can write. And I've just noticed that the types of interactions are so much more authentic and people start interacting more with the long form stuff. Like you, you post something the way that we all want to post something short is to attract people to the long form actual educational content. Yeah. And I've noticed that on Substack, it's been working in, in that's been absolutely incredible. Um, so I don't know, maybe something for you to think about. I could that's really good. I mean, it and the listeners as well. Uh, so at the end of the episode, I always say check out www.bornwithoutborders.fyi, but I'm switching over to, um, Oh yeah, I'll say no. Uh, without borders. FYI, now it's born without borders. Uh, substack. Um, so check it out there if you want to support this show. Um, but now it says it went on a little bit of a tangent there. We're almost coming up on an hour. Is there any final words you want to mention to the listeners or anything? Not really, not really. Um, I just want to thank you. It was, I mean, I can't believe it's been almost an hour. <laughs> thank you very much for, for this chat. I want to say if someone's learning Spanish, um, obviously they, they can use my, all my free resources and I will be happy to hear their feedback, positive or negative. I will take it with a pinch of salt in both cases <laughs> because you, you have to trust your instincts as well. Um, that, for example, I, I want to say something. I'm, I've been living in this country for a few years now. And during this interview, every time I do an interview in English, I always feel like part of me is thinking, oh, I just made a mistake. Or oh, I didn't ex- explain this properly. I should, have, I should speak better English. So I just want to say that because I feel like many people uh, might feel that this these insecurities or this lack of confidence with when learning a, a language uh, are, is not normal or or not everyone feel it. It's absolutely normal. It might not go away ever. <laughs> you have to live with it. But that 
that shouldn't prevent you from being on a podcast as you did on my podcast, as I'm doing now on your podcast, or as someone listening to this podcast now is, you know, um, should also get out and speak their language they're learning. And yeah, I just wanted to give that message. Definitely. Well, Cesar, thank you so much for coming on the show. It means the world to me. And uh, thank you, listeners, Nolan. remember to check out all the links in the description, especially if you're interested in learning languages or learning Spanish specifically. And there will be a new episode every Tuesday.